You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. I'm Dan Gable, Technology Manager for the LRC. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week, on Speaking of Language. In a perfect world, we would be corrected all the time, and our output would be completely accurate. Unfortunately, our ability to process correction and produce language at the same time is limited. Certainly, our ego and other factors may get in the way. On today's episode of Speaking of Language, Dick Feldman, director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University, discusses the complex issue of error correction in second language acquisition. That's one of the conundrums right there. Why do we need to know rules about languages? Why does, and so when a teacher corrects you and says, uh, no, that's the uh, past tense, remember, and you're in the first person, so the ending has to be this. You know, is that kind of information even relevant? Dick, why is error correction such a complicated issue when it comes to learning a language? Well, it involves all the factors that are part of the language learning situation, the urge to express yourself, the desire to be accurate, the motivation that arises from a feeling of effectiveness in language use, uh, the complexity of language, the need to continually modify the learner's grammar towards a more um, uh, native-like production. We don't believe that learners learn something and get it right and always do it right from there on. We feel that language learning is a is an evolving process so that can be summarized with the phrase get it right in the end. Mm-hmm. So learners start off with a with a heavily uh, native language influenced uh, interlanguage we call it and <clears throat> bit by bit they make changes. So a lot of exposure to Basically, correction is a normal part of language learning. Right. Well, how do you feel when someone corrects your errors? You've done some language learning in the last year or two. How do, how do you feel? Well, well, I notice on the fly I tend to have uh, difficulty processing uh, a correction. Like if, um, if I'm speaking to somebody and they, uh, as I'm talking, stop me and there's a change that needs to be made, it's difficult for me to move on from that. I, I can't, um, I can't uh, process, I would say, the correction and then continue in the same vein that I was before. I would sort of have to stop and start over. Of course, it depends on yeah. which language and you know, how far into it I am. But, but for Korean, my most recent um, uh, study, because I never got to an advanced level, uh, I would say I, I had a lot of difficulty being corrected by uh, you know, a language partner. Yeah, there's a lot going on when you're trying to produce some language in, sure. a, in, in a second language. You you have to think about all the different levels of language from from uh, uh, sounds through uh, 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 content words through grammar cues. You have to be thinking through all that stuff and making your mouth do the right things. At the same time, you're in a... a uh, an interactive social situation with somebody else, so there are all those cues coming and going that take up some of your your processing energy, and uh, it's it's very challenging. So then, when you're set back on your heels, kind of no, that's not it. Let's try again. 
<laughs> that is, as you say, it makes you kind of restart the whole uh, process. And, you know, in a language class, that can be very, very disruptive. Sure. Well, plus you have the audience in a class. Yes. Somebody, other, other students are listening. They don't want to right. hear somebody bumble around and restart their whole sentence uh, or keep restarting it in, in possibly with because of uh, teacher correction. So, sure. right, the audience is uh, a, a part of the equation, too. You know, so when we talk about um, uh, knowledge and correction in, in language learning, one of the basic distinctions is between implicit and explicit. <clears throat> you know, implicit knowledge is all the knowledge you have in your native language. Mm -hmm. You couldn't explain much about English to me but yet you have an implicit knowledge of it and you use it correctly. That's one of the conundrums right there. Why do we need to know rules about languages? Why does, and so when a teacher corrects you and says, uh, no, that's the uh, past tense, remember, and you're in the first person, so the ending has to be this. You know, is that kind of information even relevant? And, um, you know, most people in the field think that at some levels, that is relevant to a minor extent. Mm. It's not so much as we used to think. We used to spend most of our time talking about that kind of stuff, doing conjugations. And that's been relegated to a, a smaller place in favor of, of practice and input and noticing patterns and forms. Meaning has to do with getting across what the content of what you were trying to say. Uh -huh. versus form is uh, thinking about the language itself. Oh, I see. You know, most of the time when you're speaking, and of course in your native language, you're not thinking about the language itself hard, hardly ever. So thinking about the language itself, we can talk about the kinds of ways you know the language. Mm -hmm. One is implicit and the other is explicit. And we can have implicit and explicit correction. So if you say something something I'm going to be talking about here. And uh, if I'm your teacher and I recognize what I would consider an error, one of the ways I can respond to that is by recasting what you say, which is repeating what you say, making a correction. Now, on the one end, that's something we normally do in conversation. You might do that to me here. For one thing, you might recast what I say for verification right. on my part just that that's understand. what I meant. Yeah. Or just kind of to show that you're tuned into the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's just a regular conversational uh, 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 activity. On the other end, I could, you know, hold up my hand, stop. Now, listen, right. I'm going to restate it correctly. Uh -huh. So that's the other end of that. Very, very ex explicit about it. Right as opposed to weaving it into the conversation in a natural way. Yeah. Of course, what do you think is one of the problems of weaving it in in a natural way? Hmm. The problem is the student might not notice. Right. Oh, yes. Too subtle. You restated what I said. You restated it rather well. Yeah. But the student may not notice that the purpose of the teacher's restating it yeah. was to point out an error that you'd made. Right. Because you're concerned about meaning. Yeah. You're trying to get your point across. Right. And 
processing the difference between what you said and what the teacher said may not be high on your use of your processing energy. Mm-hmm. So, on the other hand, how do you feel when I say, stop, you said it wrong. Listen now, and I will restate it correctly or recast it correctly. You know, there are problems with that, right? as, as, as you mentioned well, yeah. in, in, in your introduction. Right. Um, so there's a whole range of ways of recasting, of giving uh, corrective feedback that kind of range from implis- implicit woven into the conversation to explicit and then perhaps with a uh, meta-language kind of explanation. Ah, that was past tense. Listen again. Right. You know, that, 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 that kind of thing. I see. Some of what I'm going to say here today uh, draws on a uh, talk by a speaker I invited uh, uh, to Cornell in uh, April 2016, a woman named Natsuko Shintani oh, right. from the University of Auckland. Mm-hmm. And her talk was titled, Examining the Effects of Corrective Feedback, How, When, and on Which Errors. It was a very good uh, talk, and I recommend it uh, if people are interested in, in more information uh, about this topic. Her uh, PowerPoint uh, lists uh, all these different categories and, and types uh, in, in, in quite a bit of detail. Yes, we'll have a link to that uh, talk, information about that talk, uh, in our description of the uh, podcast. Yeah, good. She reports 33 studies about um, explicit and implicit feedback. Well, she, in fact, she reports 33 studies that show that explicit feedback worked better right. than implicit feedback. Probably a lot of that is because the students don't notice implicit feedback. Huh. The recast. Yeah. Because, as, as I already explained, it just sounds like the teacher is with you in the conversation. Yeah, it's sort of lost on them. Right, right. So you see that the more effective feedback runs into these motivational and meaning versus form issues. To go back to meaning versus form that you mentioned, the Researchers in the field are, are, are pretty much in agreement that if you shift the discourse to completely to form discussion, that that doesn't engage the learning efforts of the students. Students need to experience the language basically through its meaning. If we just talk about, here is the third person singular now, what is the second person singular ending? That doesn't seem to do very much towards getting students to actually use those forms in speaking. It may be very good at getting them to fill those endings in on a quiz. Mm -hmm. And if that's what you're looking for, as it was in kind of grammar translation, which was is still done by many teachers and was done for many years, um, it, it may be effective. But that results in people saying, well, I studied this for four years, but I can't really speak it. Right, right. Because you Seems have like... to speak it and try to be, to be dealing with meaning in it, to be able to dealing with meaning. I mean, right. it makes it's sense. The most basic uh, function of language, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, one 
strategy teachers can and many teachers do use is delayed correction. Right. So instead of stopping you in the middle of what you're saying, my job as the teacher is to think, uh-huh, there's a mistake. Let me see if this is a common mistake in this class, or maybe I know it is. Right. And so that's, that's for example, the job of the teacher during pair work. Maybe you've wondered when you go to class and you do pair work, why am I, what's the teacher doing here? I'm speaking with my partner, but what's the role of the teacher now? And mm. What the teacher is doing is listening for those errors, not interrupting you, yeah. but storing those up, analyzing them, thinking them through, and then the teacher will design um, uh, activities which uh, in, 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 in involve that issue. So first would be input so that you listen and have to get the meaning from some language that involves that form. Mm -hmm. So the, the teacher's role is to, is to uh, focus on form in the background, but the students think they're focusing on meaning, mm. but it's using that form. That's one of the subtle areas of language teaching that frankly makes it in both interesting and challenging. Mm -hmm. um, so delayed correction, um, uh, might well be a good idea. Uh, you see, it stops that, uh, uh, it gets around that problem you, you had where you feel stymied, you can't continue because you've right. been stopped in the middle of your production. Yeah. You don't feel put down. Uh, the, the teacher forms another activity. The students may not even be aware that it's focusing on an error that many of them have, have been making. But it, but it, it, it reinforces the target-like uh, uh, forms through, through uh, input and then output uh, uh, also. Um, and then on the, uh, as I said, on the other end, uh, very implicit feedback, uh, students may not even noticing it. Uh, research has shown that noticing is uh, more likely to occur, I'm quoting uh, Shintani here now, mm. when recast target lexical and phonological errors. In other words, words and meanings and sounds. What that doesn't mean is grammatical cues. So those kinds of things are kind of maybe too much processing and too abstract, whereas sounds and vocabulary or something... Uh, yes. More functional. Right. And easier for the student to notice. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and make sense of. Sure. Um, so as um, uh, Shintani says, uh, feedback is useful and is important. Students sometimes say, sometimes complain that a teacher doesn't correct them enough. Students sometimes say they want the teacher to correct them always. They don't want to ever say anything that's wrong. That kind of betrays a lack of understanding of the acquisition process. Yeah, uh, you 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 can't get started. You can't move along. You can't focus on meaning if you're being corrected all the time. So that isn't really what a teacher wants to do. And I've interviewed students who are. I remember interviewing a student who had studied Spanish in high school, got the chance, and was going to a Spanish-speaking country got on the bus and wanted to say, how much does the bus cost? 
And she couldn't say that. She'd had exercises where she'd written that, but she'd never spoken, and she felt kind of fear in speaking. That fear in speaking came from being corrected so much and being stopped when she said anything wrong. Yeah. So that overcorrection can really be bad for students. Sure. That's why this is a a, a subtle business. So the uh, explicit correction is okay, but uh, it should be done, kept in a meaning context. And that, that's tricky to do. Um, uh, I had an idea once that the teacher should have a kind of hand signal. Huh. Okay, now I'm going to give you a little explicit correction and then take the hand down and we'll go on with meaning. I don't know. Do you think that would work uh, for you? Actually, I think it might take a little bit of the emotion out of it. If it was instead of, oh, Dick is stopping me in my tracks and doesn't like what I'm saying and I'm doing it wrong and I, I don't know the language. Instead, it's like I'm kind of prepped for you, your corrections, and mm-hmm. I'm sort of ready for it. It makes it, I guess it sort of gives it structure, gives it sort of a formality mm-hmm. that could be uh, helpful, I, I would think. But yeah, I would imagine it really uh, makes a bit. As we think about, as you're asking me about how I react to these things, it really must uh, depend quite a bit on the individual. Um, I mean, there must be different types of. Obviously, there's all sorts of learners yeah. out there. But um, is it how do you how does a teacher deal with that? That there may be. I mean, this is a, a broader question, I guess, for you know teaching generally, but. But how do you address the needs of, um, of all these different types of students and how they might react to being corrected? Well, exactly. This is part of the difficulty in the art, the, um, the sensitive social understanding that's required of a language teacher. Somebody who's very confident, full of bombast, and will get his point across one way or another no matter what you do, uh, maybe is okay with being stopped, corrected, let him go on, doesn't get flustered, has the kind of uh, interpersonal confidence that allows that. Somebody else who's hesitant to speak at all, if you stop that person in the middle, that may be devastating to that person and end up getting on the bus and not being able to say anything. Right. So, yeah, those uh, uh, people people really do uh, uh, vary in that way. Um, so that's where the delayed... Uh, uh, feedback comes in, uh, that it doesn't discourage students when they're trying to focus on meaning, when they're trying to practice actually saying something, which is what, of course, we want to do with this language. Absolutely. You know, I have a kind of fundamental uh, idea about language teaching, which is that you learn to do what you practice. And if what you practice is filling in uh, conjugation endings, you'll become very good at that. And if what you practice is starting to say something and then getting stopped in the middle and being afraid to speak, then that's where you're going to end up, too. Yeah. And it probably isn't really where you wanted to be. Sure. So, you know, this, this feedback and uh, uh, correction business, you're right to point out. It is a, a subtle set of operations that do vary... Uh, uh, according to the person, and uh, it's up to the uh, uh, teacher to figure out when it's um, uh, worth doing. There, there's actually another factor in the teacher deciding 
what to correct because it's been shown that students learn things in a certain order. This is something we don't understand too well yet. It seems to be really complicated and not exactly consistent from one person to another. But you've probably noticed second language English speakers who go along, uh, who, are, who are quite proficient and quite effective communicators, but who leave off their S on verbs. My friend, come here every day. Yeah. You might hear that from somebody who really can function in English, but makes that mistake. Now, it's such a simple mistake. It's such a simple thing to fix, you would think. So why is it that it is consistently an error of very advanced students? So if you have a beginning student, should you harp on that? when you know that that person is very likely not going to control it until much later in the acquisition process. So that's, that's one of the issues of, of, again, where a teacher has to be very perceptive of the uh, learning stage that uh, her, her students are, are, are at. And, um, you know, it's something that uh, keeps the teachers thinking and, and, and makes the process uh, uh, really interesting. Another factor in here is the uh, processing time that you brought out at the beginning right. in, 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 in feedback uh, correction. And, of course, this is a different story when you're giving feedback in writing because the sure. person is not online. Right. There isn't somebody standing in front of you waiting, what are you trying to tell me? Yeah, it's delayed by nature. Right, right. So their writing feedback is a whole other story we aren't going into in detail today it still can be demotivating. If you're a beginner and you've written something, you feel you've said something, you want, first, first you want somebody to acknowledge that you have said something. Secondly, you want to get, you want to feel you're making progress. So you want some idea of how you could improve. But correcting every one of your possible errors, again, can be demotivating. So teachers need to be uh, uh, moderate and focused and perceptive of the level of students uh, when they correct uh, writing also. Though it's a little bit of a, of a, of a different uh, uh, issue. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Sam Lupwitz and Dan Gable. Recorded by Sam Lupwitz. Original music by Sam Lupwitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. <laughs>